Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Dyslexia Devoted, the podcast dedicated to building awareness, understanding, and strategies to help those with dyslexia. I'm your host, Lisa Parnello, dyslexia therapist and founder of Parnello Education Services. Join me as we dive into today's episode of Dyslexia Devoted. Hello, friends, and welcome back. Have you ever wondered how to help dyslexic kids deal with constantly making mistakes even when they do their best? Welcome to episode 29 of Dyslexia Devoted. And today we're going to be talking about ways to help kids with dyslexia deal with their mistakes and failures. Now, before we get started, I have a few things coming up that I wanted to let you know about. One is that I'm going to be doing some live Q&A sessions. So if you have your questions about dyslexia, I want you to send them my way at lisa at parnelloeducation.com. So shoot me an email or you can find me on Instagram or Facebook at Parnello Education and send me your questions about dyslexia, and I will try to answer them the best I can in an upcoming live Q&A session. I also wanted to remind you about my brand new course, Discovering Dyslexia, A Parent's Roadmap to Navigating That First Year After Diagnosis. I still have a few more spots left, and I decided to go ahead and keep the cart open a little bit longer if you want that special discounted pre-sale rate of $99 instead of $197, which it'll be when it fully launches in the very beginning of February. So the new deadline to sign up for that special discounted 50% off is now going to be Christmas Eve, December 24th. You can find the sign-up page on my website, parnelloeducation.com, on the Courses tab, or you can sign up using the link that's right here where you're listening to this episode in the show description. Okay, now for this week's episode. So I'm currently recording this right as the sun is going down, so happy Hanukkah to all of you who celebrate that. I am normally very good about recording my podcast on Friday mornings so that I can get it out to you guys by Sunday evening. But this week has been a little out of routine for a few reasons. So I help kids with dyslexia and it is currently finals week. And so my eighth graders and high schoolers are really struggling around this time of year. And I am a total sucker for a kid with dyslexia begging for extra tutoring sessions. So I'm a little uh, jam-packed in my schedule this week. And then I had the wonderful pleasure today of going to an International Dyslexia Association board meeting. And we finally got to have an in-person meeting for the first time since I've been on the board in three years. Because, you know, pandemics and all. It was such a pleasure to hang out with our crew of the NorCal IDA board today because we have some heavy hitters on our board. And I forget what a special community we have here. We have our lovely host, Nancy Cushion White, who is an expert in the field of Slingerland and has trained teachers for many years and has helped countless students achieve high success despite their dyslexia. And then we also have Nancy Redding, who is our Orton Gillingham fellow. And my friend Grace does letters training. And I do Wilson training. So we all come at it from different angles. And because of our vast experience in different directions of dyslexia and the different programs that we each use, we can all come together to share fantastic ideas about ways that we can collaborate and bring things together. For example, some of our conversations today, we're trying to help schools change their curriculum to use more structured literacy approach to their teaching so that kids are not being taught to guess words, but are actually taught how to read them and how to sound out words. And we also talked about how we can get simulations planned so that we can help more people understand what it's like 
to be somebody with dyslexia. And speaking of what it feels like to have dyslexia, that brings me to our real focus of today, which is how do we help kids deal with the fact that they are constantly making mistakes and failing despite giving their very best effort each and every day. This episode was inspired by my students this week because I had to tell a few of them that they're coming to see me next week even though there's no school. I thought that they would be disappointed that they had to go keep learning even though it's supposed to be a school break. And actually, one of them jumped for joy and yelled, yes, I get more time with Lisa. And another kid said, I wish I could come here every day instead of going to school. I would learn so much. And it really made me think about how these kids got to this level. Because those kids fail all the time. They wouldn't be coming to me if they weren't failing and making mistakes all the time. That's how you land in my office is because you need more help than you can get somewhere else. And I really wanted to reflect on what magical thing happens in that office that makes kids so happy to come see me, even though we're doing what is the hardest part of their day. A lot of times kids with dyslexia hate reading. So what are we doing in that office that makes them so excited to come every day? So let's think about that. The first and biggest thing is, is teaching them to be okay with failing and letting them know it's not the end of the world. I will give them something really challenging and I will remind them, okay, we're doing something new today, but remember, it's not the end of the world if you make a mistake. Nothing happens. I actually expect you to make a lot of mistakes today because what we're doing today is brand new. You've never done it before. This is a phrase I say often. It's not the end of the world. And then one of the kids this week decided to say, wait, does that mean one of the kids that you had before did think it was the end of the world? And I had a little chuckle at that one. And it's because he was actually one of the kids that would freak out every time he made a mistake. And so it was really nice to see that he went from being one of the kids that freaked out every time he made a mistake to knowing it really isn't the end of the world if he makes one. And that comes with practice. It comes with reminding them there are sometimes zero consequences for mistakes. And our kids really need to know that it is okay to make them and that it's a safe space to make them. And if they make a mistake, all right, that just shows me what I need to teach you. And then we move on from there. And there's something so critical about being okay with failure and picking yourself up and getting back at it again. And I mentioned this in one of the other episodes, but honestly, playing games and board games with the kids is one of the best things that you can do, is teaching them how to fail and get back up and try again and reminding them literally nothing happens to them if they lose this game. Not one thing changes about your life if you lose this game. And so often I see kids or teachers or parents not wanting to play board games with the kids because of the reactions that they have when they fail. And that's exactly when you need to play games with kids, is when they are having big old meltdowns every time that they fail. Because they need to learn that that meltdown gets them nothing, and that they can move past it, and that things will be okay if you get up and try again, and maybe next time, you'll win. And it will feel pretty good. Now you might be thinking, hey, my kid or my student is really good at winning and losing at board games, but the second you hand him a book, he gives up. All right, let's talk about that one. I like to point out everything that they're doing good before I point out anything they're making a mistake on. So I might say, I really liked the way you read that with expression. Let's just fix this one word. Notice how I said, let's just fix this one word. I didn't say anything about making a mistake. I didn't say anything about doing anything wrong. I used language that pointed out a strategy I saw them using, like using expression, pointed it toward the word, not pointing it toward the kid and what they did wrong. I will very rarely tell a student that they made a mistake. I will frequently say, let's fix just this one thing. But before I say, let's fix just this one thing, I will tell them something they did really great. 
because the first thing they hear needs to be praise of all the hard work they're putting in. So when I give them that praise, it might depend on what's happening. So sometimes the praise might be, I really like the way you pushed through that word and you figured it out. I don't give them a compliment on the word they read right on the first try. I give them a compliment on the word that they slowed down, they sounded it out, said one little bit at a time, and I complimented them on pushing through it and not giving up. That is how you teach grit. Grit and resilience are the keys to success for dyslexia. You have to be able to pick yourself back up again and keep going. Another thing that I will do is validate when something's really hard. One kid brought in a spelling list from school that was by far the most absurd spelling list I've ever seen in my life. There were no patterns to the words. None of the tasks actually taught him how to spell the word. None of the tasks pointed out any of the spelling patterns. They were just supposed to copy it three times and magically know how to spell it. And I validated that for the student. I told him, you know what? I really don't like this spelling list. I don't even think it makes sense to put these words on the spelling list. My goal for you is to get at least three of these 15 words right. That is my actual goal for you. Let's work on the three words that have spelling patterns that you and I have learned, and let's work on those. I did it again with another student. The school had scanned in a copy of a writing sample of something the student had done at the beginning of the school year and a new writing sample of something the kid just did a couple weeks ago. And I was over the moon excited when the parents sent it to me because I was able to look at it and see that every mistake that was made is because I haven't taught the kid that skill yet. So the next time I saw that student, I complimented him like crazy about how he utilized all of his strategies that he had learned with me and he was able to spell all the things that we have worked on together, he was able to spell every one of those words right. The only mistakes he made were things that he hasn't learned yet. And so I reminded him of that. Keep using your strategies and spell it the way that it sounds until we learn the new spelling patterns. When we were at the IDA board meeting today, Nancy Cushenwhite gave a great example of this, and she called it temporary spelling, where it's how we let them spell things temporarily until we teach them the pattern of how it should really be spelled. And I just loved her phrasing of that, of temporary spelling, of knowing that it's okay to spell it phonetically, but you know it's not really going to stay that way forever, and you will teach them the real pattern for how to spell that word when they're ready for it. Now, a lot of these examples are ones I give for younger students, and it's all about teaching them to have some of that grit and determination and complimenting them on pushing through challenging things and reminding them of when they've gotten better at something or reminding them when they used a strategy that is working really well and the way they got the right answer when they use that strategy. Now, when I have the older students, I take a little bit of a different approach, and I kill them with logic. Now, like I said at the beginning of this episode, it is currently finals week this week and next week, depending on the school, and I've been helping a lot of my older students get ready for finals. So this week, we've been dealing with a lot of frustration, a lot of mistakes, and at least one at risk of failure. And so we have to take a very different approach with some of them. One is, did you utilize your strategy of asking for help? And this is when I hear, but I can't. No, you can, is my answer to that. One of the biggest things I see as kids hit that middle school and high school level is they want to do more on their own and they want to be independent. I have to remind them that asking for help is not optional. They have dyslexia and it's one of the strategies that works. I also have to remind my older students that when you ask for help, and you do it repeatedly and often, that teacher will do everything in their power to make sure you pass their class. It's those kids who pretend they're fine and refuse to go into office hours and refuse to ask for help. Those are the kids that the teacher lets fail, lets them learn their lesson the hard way. We have to teach kids with dyslexia to ask for help and make them feel comfortable doing it. 
Rarely does anybody become successful in life by doing it all on their own. They usually have a whole team behind them when they become a success story. We have to make sure students know that when they ask for help, life gets easier. That when they ask for support and they go in every day to every office hours, the teacher will do everything in their power to make sure they pass the class because they see them putting in the work and putting in the effort and earning their grade the hard way. One of the other things I've had to do with some of my older students this week to help them really develop that grit and determination is focus more on their growth mindset. I was working on a lot of algebra this week. So, so much algebra. And I kept hearing, I don't get it. I don't get it. What do I have to, I don't need to know this. Actually, you kind of do. For like the next six years of schooling, you will need to know this. Algebraic equations, not going away anywhere. Because my students know that I will tell them if there's something that they will honestly never, ever need again in life and say, suck it up, get it through it and move on. And then I will also tell them, no, no, this is something you really need. They know that I will tell them like it is. So when one of my students got very stuck on algebra and kept saying, I don't get it, I don't get it, I had to remind her that I don't get it tells me nothing. That's just an excuse and means that you're putting up a mental block and convincing yourself you don't get it. And I had to remind her what growth mindset is. A growth mindset is the idea that if you believe it and you work hard at it, it will get better and it will improve compared to a fixed mindset of just saying, nope, I don't get it. I'll never get it. So in the middle of our tutoring session, I scolded her quite loudly saying she was forced to say, I can do it a bunch of times. And she would say, I can do it. Nope, louder. I can do it. No, no, I need to hear it louder. I can do it. Oh, not quite loud enough. I really need to believe it. I can do it. Sometimes kids need that reminder that when you say you can, then you will find a way to make it happen. But if you say you can't, you're just putting up a roadblock for yourself and you can't go any further. So you need to remind yourself, I can do this or I can't do it yet. Can you help me with X, Y, Z? And one of the things I really work with the older students on how to push through failure and struggle is asking for specific help. Saying I don't get it means you've already given up. I need you to tell me what don't you get. You don't understand where the X came from. You don't know how I decided to do that next step in the problem. You don't know where to start or you don't know what is the first step. So one of the big things to do to help kids overcome struggles and failures is to ask for specific help. Just the way I was talking earlier about for the younger kids, you teach them specific praise for something you see them doing really well and a strategy you see them using. For the older kids, sometimes it's a little harder to do some of those because they do a lot of thoughts in their head that you can't see. But instead, I like to focus it more on their own self-advocacy when it comes to the older students. So when I say self-advocacy, I mean speaking up about where it went wrong. Having them tell you, I know how I get Y, but I don't know how I get X. Or having a student say, I have all the right ideas, but I don't know how to put them in order for this essay. Having the kids start getting specific about what kind of help they need. And so sometimes that requires you as the adult to give them some examples and you put it in your own words. And so you might say, when you say you don't get it, what part do you not get? And you might have to flush out a little bit. And once you get into a routine of it, a lot of times it makes life a lot easier for everybody. Because then when everyone says, I don't get it, I don't get it, everyone is frustrated. The adult doing the helping is frustrated. The kid is getting frustrated because you don't know where to even start. Neither one of you do. One of the best things that you can do is teach the kids to get specific about what they don't get. Teach them to get specific about, I know how to do this, but I don't know how to do that, whatever it is. And then that becomes your new specific praise later on 
is that when the student starts saying that, I love that you told me exactly what part of the essay to help you on. That makes it so much easier for me to help you. Or I really like that you told me which part of the math equation you understood and which part made it all fall apart for you. And then that makes it easier for me to explain the part that you don't understand. The specific praise for older student usually goes in the form of them utilizing self-advocacy skills in addition to how they are utilizing strategies. And we try to teach self-advocacy to the younger kids, but it's hit or miss depending on their maturity level. But by the time you end up having kids who are in fifth, sixth, seventh grade and up, those kids can really start advocating for themselves and asking for help. And when they start realizing that things can be a team effort, so whether that's working with a parent or a tutor or a teacher, that's how they can overcome their challenges, is utilizing their resources. And when they utilize those resources, they become successful. And you point that out to those students. And you tell them, I love the way you utilize this strategy, or you asked for help in this way, and that's how you were able to figure out the answer. Good work. I'm really proud of you. And you should be really proud of yourself, too. All right, let's recap this episode. So we talked about the fact that we need to teach kids how to deal with failure. And one of the first things that you can do is to remind them when there are no consequences that if you make a mistake, nothing happens to you. You just go about your day, you try it again, and move on. We also talked about the importance of playing games and being okay with winning and losing. And if you are giving up on playing board games because they're not going well, that's the sign that you really need to keep playing board games and keep teaching them how to win and lose gracefully because that is a life skill that you need to know that things aren't going to go your way. How are you going to develop that grit and resilience that you need to be successful, not just in school, but in life. Because you never go your whole life without failing at something. You're going to fail eventually. And it's a lot safer and easier to learn it in a board game when you're little than it is in life when you throw a temper tantrum in high school. Doesn't work out so well for you. Then we had talked about how we approach mistakes. And one of the biggest things is not calling it a mistake. Pointing out all the things that they did right. Pointing out when they utilize their strategies. And then subtly mention all right, let's work on just this one other little thing. And you give them one thing to move on about. If you're not pointing it out as an error all the time, it is much more well-received. Think about you in life. If someone went, hey, look at this mistake you made, you'd probably get pretty defensive. So if you can say, hey, I love the way you worked on this. We're just going to tweak this one other little thing. That comes across a lot more helpful. And you're more willing to push through and try it again. If somebody gives you more positive and constructive feedback than pointing out your mistakes. And then we ended the episode by talking about how we might help older students by teaching them those self-advocacy skills and teaching them how life gets easier when they ask for help. We give them specific praise for asking for that help, and then we also reinforce the idea that when they ask for help, they don't say, I don't understand it, or I don't get it. They start to learn how to speak up for themselves and say, I understand how to do this, but I'm confused about that, and teaching them to use specific language with what part they need assistance on so that they can get the help that they need more effectively from you or their educator or whoever they're working with. And then that specific praise goes to, I really like the way you reached out for help instead of giving up. Or I like the way you asked for help instead of getting frustrated. Or I like that when you got frustrated, you took a break and then came back and asked for the help that you needed. And so make sure that praise is always specific, no matter what age group they are. But the direction you usually have to go in for the older kids is more about utilizing their ability to get help if they ask for it, because that's usually where the older kids tend to fall apart, is they don't ask for help. 
They try to do it all on their own and they wait till they're way too far behind. That's actually what happened with one of my kids this week. She's way far behind and it's hard to catch them back up when they fall that far. And so we want to make sure that we're teaching kids to ask for help early and often because then that's what keeps them from failing. And they develop that grit and resilience on how to push through when things get tough because they know how to get the help they need. All right, that's it for today. Don't forget, shoot me an email or send me a direct message on either Instagram or Facebook letting me know your questions about dyslexia because I have some upcoming live Q&A sessions and I would love to answer some of your listener questions. See you next time. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Dyslexia Devoted. Join us for our next episode by subscribing to this podcast as we devote each episode to different aspects of dyslexia. See you next time.